0: Be Effective podcast is brought to you by Effective Fitness Training. EFT is a performance-driven fitness program designed to improve individual performance. Created by our team of physical therapists, strength conditioning coaches, nutrition specialists, and a team of active and former law enforcement with over 100 years combined experience. EFT is developed for those who want the most comprehensive fitness plan available. Use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off the life of your membership. Welcome. To the Be Effective Podcast, Episode 60, Mr. Jay Wadsworth. Jay is a second degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and a retired MMA fighter. He's an active cop with 20 years of experience and 13 of those spent on SWAT. He's currently a team leader for the Jamestown Police Department SWAT team. He's an instructor with a long list of credentials, including DCGS, reality based training, firearms instructor, defensive tactics, and more. Jay is also the co owner, co founder, and lead instructor of Effective Fitness Combatives. In this episode, we specifically talk about pressure testing as it pertains to defensive tactics and law enforcement. There are many people out there that do a great job of truly pressure testing their techniques, principles, and concepts. There are also others out there that do a terrible job of pressure testing their techniques, principles, and concepts, and then saying they are effective for law enforcement. As you can tell, that can be an officer safety issue, and our job here at The Effective Podcast is to elevate the standard in law enforcement. So again, in this episode, we dive into how to truly pressure test some of the shortcomings of pressure testing and how you can elevate your defensive tactics curriculum for your agency. Without further ado, episode 60 with my friend, Mr. Jay Wadsworth. Enjoy. So let's just just kind of what we were talking about, just kind of dive into it, just about Pressure testing and what it actually means to pressure test and why it's important in training, not only for the students or, you know, coworkers, colleagues, whatever, but really the importance of pressure testing and why it's important to take the time to do that properly, right? So, Jay, based on your experience, kind of what, from the beginning, your type of pressure testing is how do you start pressure testing?
1: So I'm going to explain to you how we do it now and then explain hindsight later of when I started in the academy and what we used to see and then what we had in Perfect. our head and then how we went out to the road. And then we're like, oh, shit. So basically, there's, there's multiple forms of pressure testing. Okay. And I, I kind of break it up into four or five steps. The, the first one is just going to be, hey, we're doing some drilling we're introducing the tactic, we're drilling. Our partner is giving us a realistic feel of what the bad guy's going to do, but he is just letting us flow through the drills and get our mechanics down and build our consistency with our fundamentals. Okay, So he's not really pressure testing anything. We are just drilling at that point. Once we get that drilling down and we're pretty comfortable with it, then we do what we call controlling the pace of the bad guy. We're going to have the bad guy still allow him to drill, but we can let, like tell the bad guy's pace is going to be 10% or 20% or 30% just during the drill. So now I'm drilling on Adam. I'm looking underhook near side arm. I'm going to hit, let's just say like a knee tap and I am running a, a takedown. Now you're going to give me a little bit of resistance. You're going to be 20, 25% of the resistance. So you're not just going to let me do it. You're going to just make me work through the steps, Put a little bit of resistance. Maybe put a whizzer in this time. Maybe base out a little bit more. Now I have to really make sure I break your posture. I take your base away. I have an angle. All those things. Okay. So that first one is really, hey, we can up the resistance in drilling with our our partners. Okay. The second one is what we'll start building more pressure testing, but we're still just controlling the pace in the training environment. Okay, we're just upping the resistance a little bit more. We're adding a few more things in. So say we're doing uh, guard sweeps. Now we're going to put our gun belts on. Okay. And the bad guy is allowed to grab towards our gun and he's allowed to punch us. Okay. So we got blue guns in there. We have tasers in there and we're going to work to sweep him, get back to our feet and stand up. But he's going to give us 20, 30% to the point where we aren't easily sweeping him. Okay, maybe he's throwing some light strikes. We're controlling the pace on those 30, 40% to the body, maybe just 10, 20% to the face where he's touch striking us. But now we have to not only be able to complete a jujitsu sweep, we have to be able to, or work to our feet, we have to now sweep him, pay attention to our weapons. Is he deploying a weapon? And if so, we have to take care of those problems and improvise while we're doing it. Okay. So we could help his resistance as we go. And that's just building more from drilling into more scenario live drilling. Okay, You can work that all the way up to the sparring realistically. And you'd be semi-close to what we call actual pressure testing. But we're still blue guns. There's no eye protection. There's no uh, red beard helmets on us. There's no UTMs involved. So realistically, the stress is down a little bit. You're still getting punched a little bit. They're making you uncomfortable and they're making you work. So that's level two.
0: And that sounds like basically what's only taught in the academy. That's what I feel like I experienced at the academy level was basically that level of resistance.
1: And some academies don't even do that. So like level one was what I experienced in my academy. Hey, we went out, we drilled these tactics. Our partner gave us no resistance. Uh, We're doing pressure points. Of course, there's no adrenaline. We're not you know, on opiates. We're not drunk. We're not on meth. So we didn't, we feel pain. They worked. We were never taught failure when you're, when you're never taught failure. And then you kind of get, give them that false uh, feeling that, Hey, they're going to go out there. This works. Hey, PPCT works. It works in the Academy works on my partners, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. No resistance that there's, there's no adrenaline. There's pain compliance isn't failing. So level two bumps that up a little bit. All right. Then we have to get into the, how do we make it as close as possible in the safest environment to actually pressure test a scenario that's not a live situation on the street? Okay, And we do that by having, first off, the proper safety equipment. Uh, us personally, we use those Red Bear Combatives helmets with the hoods. Uh, that protects your neck. You can actually, I've used the UTM marking rounds with no standoff. It doesn't go through them. Uh, contact shots. So on and so forth, you know, groin protection for the males and then MMA gloves. We use like the real thin ones. Uh, again, we can grab weapons. We can present our own. We can grab the suspect's weapons. We can also punch, strike. It doesn't hurt our hands because we, ha- we have gloves on. And then both both participants are going to be in some sort of combative uh, reality-based training gear helmet. Okay. Then we have to introduce in the form of munitions or ultimate training munitions that you're going to use. So then those are, hey, whatever like platform of weapon you're carrying, say Glock 19, I can buy a Glock 19 and make it into a UTM. So now I can use training mags that weigh just as much as my mags. I can do reload from them. I can actually put it in my actual holster. So now my gear is very, very similar to what I would be running on the street. And then bad guys would have the same. They would have uh, some platform of UTM or SIMS. Uh, Maybe we give them a shock knife uh, or maybe we give them a licksic knife. Now, the benefit of the shock knife in this is the shock knife doesn't really hurt. You you see it and, and people get scared of it. But for me, what that shock knife does is it actually ups their adrenaline and their fear. People freak out. They hear that. It sounds like a taser. They start to freak out. It's not really going to injure them. okay? It doesn't really hurt too bad. But again, now we're starting to introduce fear and stress in, into the environment of pressure testing with just a, a one simple weapon. So the UTMs do the same thing, right? So the UTMs are like, hey, if you're just getting blue gunned, you don't care. If you would say you're doing building clearing and you split the doors and, and you bounce in there, you're bouncing in there and you're not worried about like you're just getting lip gunned. The pressure testing of those tactics are never going to be as good as if, hey, I'm going to be getting shot with these UTM's. It actually hurt a little bit, and now you start to see people actually train that a little bit different, right? Okay? Or 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 put more effort into their training. Right. So once we add those in, we design what we call box drills or scenarios, and I, I would suggest starting out with box drills, and that means a person has no idea what theirs They turn around, we just let them. They have to solve the problem at hand, anywhere from verbal and presence all the way up to lethal force. And and we'll let those box drills go until they get to the desired objective with not just like, okay, if it's a lethal force situation, I shoot him twice and then I holster my gun. Uh, That's creating bad habits. So again, pressure testing should go all the way through the entire scenario. Same with those box drills. Box drills are the officer has no idea what's going on. But the bad guy has a role that we want him to be strict on. He's going to have the intent of whatever the situation is of what the criminal would have in that. Uh, We also try to look up studies, find data, break down videos. How are the bad guys actually attacking us? What is their main role? Let's take knife defense, for instance. Multiple studies out there. The one we use over 70% of the time, the, the subject leads with his empty hand. And the reason he does that is he wants to restrict your movement. So that's important. Now, when we're pressure testing and we tell the bad guy, OK, we want you to go out there with the intent. We want you to stab him. OK, we want you to stab him as many times as you can. We also want you to lead with that empty hand and try to hold him. Maybe maybe we don't tell him any of that stuff except for, hey, I want you to see how many times you can stab him before you get shot four or five good rounds. And then you can start to go down. Okay. And we never end it with like one or two rounds unless it's a contact shot. If we tell them you take a contact shot, that can be a one-round uh, situation. But other than that, you just posted a video the other day. The older deputy walking backwards, the older suspect with a stick. was that, 10 rounds out of oh, the 12? 12, it was, it was, 12 it was, rounds, it was yeah. 12 rounds, but it was 10 before the guy started to fall down, right? Right, so yeah. So 10 I mean, rounds. Was, yeah. 10 rounds before his behaviors change to go down. So Correct. this nonsense of like, hey, it's Hollywood. You shoot him once or twice and the guy's falling down and he's not going forward. I shot the guy in, in drilling. Uh, throw that out the door, right? Throw that out the door and that's a good contact shot.
0: And two, just to kind of add more context to that situation, uh, the medical examiner, he, he was not intoxicated. He had no intoxicant in his bloodstream. He was not under the influence. He was just riding on whatever he was riding on and all 12 rounds impacted uh, in the chest area of that individual, just to put some context behind that. So it's not like he missed, you know, 10 times and only two rounds hit him. He had 12, 12 rounds accounted for on, uh, on that person.
1: Yeah. And you posted another really good video that when I talk about those after actions, like don't end the video after you shoot, Okay. We go through these after actions when we do reload based training, and, and there's five of them that we use. Some companies use uh, some C, like C acronyms. Some companies use four, whatever. We use five. It's, is the subject down? Is he alone? Should I be moving? Am I okay checking myself? And is my gun up and running? Right. One, am I empty? Do I need to reload, like a, a deliberate reload? Or did my gun get shot? When we see that happen all the time, whether it's videos or UTM, your gun yeah. gets shot because it's usually in center mass somewhere. Correct. Correct. So you posted a video not too long ago where a guy had a knife uh, coming out of a car, and the cop shot him uh, a lot of times or shot at him a lot of times, and I believe he got hit a, a few of those. But he expended his magazine and he was at lockback and he stayed at lockback for for quite a few minutes. Yeah. Do you remember this video? I do. So so that situation right there we actually do a a box drill where you turn around and you're getting stabbed and then you're moving and you're shooting and there are so many times that the subject finally goes down we have the officer okay are you in a good spot should you be moving yep and then we want them to call for backup and they're waiting for backup and then backup comes and they have another officer that's maybe 50 yards away and he has to do 10 burpees and then sprint there so it's you know, 30 seconds andy has got a little bout of breath and now they got to go cover and contact safely and take this person into custody. The amount of times we first do that drill, people and I see them say, okay, I got cover and you got contact. The person that just came in goes up to start making contact and I'll be like, pause, who's got cover? And the officer that's beginning the drill will be like, I have cover. And I'll be like, do you? Yes. Go through your after actions. And I'll start going through and then they start to get to their gun. They go to check their gun and they're locked back right? So again, that's training. If, if you don't shoot your gun enough, you're not going to, the gun talks to you. You feel if that gun goes lock back, but now your adrenaline's up and you don't train on the range a lot, you're not going to feel that gun go back to lock back. And that's an issue. So that, one of the things those after actions can solve is, Hey, I get in a gunfight. I'm in a good spot. He's down. Is he alone? Uh, I got some distance covered. I've checked myself, checked my gun, not just see if my guns hit or needs topped off, but to make actually sure it's in battery and or has live ammunition in it. right? So that's like stage three. That's the closest we can get to pressure testing without live ammunition and live weapons on there. Okay, We tell the suspect to do certain things. Sometimes we tell them you, this is just going to be a freestyle one. We want you to try to stab him, but I'm not going to tell you how, where you're coming out of. I just want you to do it. The fourth one is live situations. We actually see those occur, okay, whether it's our experience or someone that we've trained with experience, and that is the best pressure testing you're going to have. Hey, here's actually a video of us doing it. I sent you a video of myself and my sergeant. I hit a takedown. He went figure four. I got the first arm out second arm, the guy's holding onto his coat underneath. And I ran the problem solving arm bar that we called getting that arm extraction up. Right. So that is a live experience of pressure testing. Like, Oh, I figure four never works on the street. Oh, that arm extraction, it never works on the street. Or well, here's a guy that's six, four, that has mental health conditions and a two, three percenter. And it worked on the street in a live environment.
0: You know, Jay, common sense would tell us, right. That Once you acquire these skills in, you know, let's say levels one, two, and three, or levels one and two, excuse me, and then you go to level three, this is the way that I was always kind of explain things where when you went to more advanced training, right, their goal wasn't to basically give you those skills. You're already going to have those skills at hand. And then this course or this class was going to enhance your ability and help, you know, fine tune those skills or sharpen that sword as some like to say that's why that foundation is extremely important right that, that's why that skill building that's why the fundamentals are are super critical let's say you've mastered the fundamentals or than not you've mastered them but you have a high level of of ability skill knowledge retention you're able to actually perform grip breaks and body locks and all these stances head placement all this stuff and you start to train at the level three level right which is you know one level right below real world, you should hang out in that level three as much as possible.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And then where you, when, when you find issues, then go ahead and go back to level one even, right? And then go to level two and then just kind of work your way back up and find that new normal. I think what we're seeing now is somewhat of a common trend is is level two is what's sexy because technically you can make anything work at level two almost. You know, it's like, Hey man, go at 30%. Okay, cool. 30%. Like I've never been attacked, uh, at 30% real world ever. Either it's either it's a hundred percent or it's like, you know, zero (laughs) percent. So it's like,
1: yeah, there's definitely intent on the street, you know, and you have to bring that intent into your role players, uh, on the bad guy side or the suspect side. Let's say you have to bring, you have to bring that intent in, you know, a lot of people post, Their resistant drill, but the bad guy's intent is clearly not the full intent. Like I saw some videos last week I was watching. uh, I won't name people. And one of them was a, a video of a guy pressure testing, getting stabbed, but the guy that was stabbing him actually looked like he had to go out of his way to try not to stab the guy. So then now we completely are not pressure testing that situation, or we're back to stage one where the guy's, actually not causing us any harm. So we think what we're doing is working. We're actually giving ourselves or the students who are teaching a false sense of urgency. And I always tell people when I teach, like this is going to fail. It's going to fail against somebody or it's going to be operator error, right? Like nothing's a hundred percent. Your gun's not a hundred percent. Your gun malfunctions or your gun can come out of battery, whatever, or it could break. Nothing's a hundred percent. So the problem of, when I was in the academy, it was, hey, learn these cool pressure points, these arm bar takedowns, these keto wrist throws, whatever garbage they were teaching us. And then they would tell us, like, it works every time. We were doing it on each other who was sober, and we are letting us our partners drill it, which is – that's fine. Like, when we introduce techniques and then we start drilling, that's the level you have to start at. Crawl, walk, run, sprint, fall on your face, throttle off, sprint again, right? right? So it's like understanding that is good, but we have to build up to see, okay, when that fails – Do we stay working that same thing over and over again, or do we just improvise and go to the next tactic or improvise and go to the next takedown, or do we create space and go to a weapon system? Again, you've heard me say it thousands of times, but our hands-on skills should not supplement our duty belt, and our tools. Right, and that's also
0: uh, what's being marketed.
1: Yeah, our tools should supplement our verbal skills and our hands-on skills and tactics. That's what those are there for. It's a completely opposite of what most people that are cops are there. We've all heard a saying, like, range instructors. Hey, I don't need DT. I'm a range instructor. I'm a gun guy. Okay, cool, dude. How many times are your actual use of force is gun-related? Like... (laughs) 4%, 5%, like let's not put a number on it, but like very little. Very low. Okay. If any. But then you have those DT guys that say, hey, I I shoot at 70% on paper. I pass every time, but I suck at shooting. Hey, I don't really need to because my hands on skills are so good. And that's the majority of what we do. Okay, cool, dude. Now that guy's 25 feet away with a a handgun out at you. What are you going to do? Okay. You're going to DT him from 25 feet away? No, you're not. not. Right, so like this reality based training and like our EFC program, the most important part of that is is we are a f- full curriculum that's well rounded, bringing the gun and the DT side together, and that's important because every situation could be that in, in what we do right. in our and, environment.
0: Jay, that's a that's a that's a really good point because a lot of a lot of individuals, even in academies, is they separate it you have a DT week right. and then you have a firearms week and you spend a week on the range and you spend a week in the you know on the mats doing whatever when really it should be you should spend 2 weeks doing both and then maybe separate weeks doing you know starting off with the skill building okay building those fundamentals high okay week 1 week 2 maybe start to integrate weapons right week 3 okay fine go to the range week 4 that's when you're doing that level 3 testing cuz now you've basically flown it all together and now you're able to create a more well-rounded officer that's going to have at least a, somewhat of a foundation because I know when I left, I didn't know fucking shit. I didn't know anything when it came to hands-on skills. PPCT was a week long and once you passed the test because you had to get the, like your hands right and if it was like too far from your chest, he you would like move it in a little bit. I'm like, bro, you think this and this is going to be the difference between me living and me dying? The answer is absolutely not. It's not. If I do this, I'm going to die anyways. So yeah, and it's just, it's it's, just trash. It's
1: just one of those things that the culture and training was just so bad for so long and people are so worried about, oh, we can't train hard. We're going to get hurt. We're going to get hurt. Right. Okay. So you want to train to not get injured. Of course, you don't want to train to not get injured. You put as much safety precaution into your drilling as possible. And when you have reality-based training, there's a lot of instructors and it's broken down into small groups. It's not 40 people pairing up in two and 20 groups going at the same time, right? It's going to be two groups going, two people going, and one or two instructors right there managing that situation, minimizing as little injury as possible. Injury can happen doing anything. It could happen golfing. It can happen swinging a tennis racket. Okay. But if you're not going to train your cops and then expect them to be efficient on the street when the shit hits the fan and it's a life or death situation, it's just not going to happen. Uh, right. It's like self-defense that the myth of self-defense. <laughs> hey, I'm going to uh, go to an eight hour female only self-defense so that someone tries to beat me up, you know, and, and rape me. I'm going I'm to be able to defend myself. So I'm going to go for eight hours and then never do anything again. I'm still going to suck at it and I'm still not going to be able to defend myself.
0: With all women.
1: Right. It could be men too. Look at men. They don't know how to fight. Right. It doesn't matter. So like you need to train consistently. People tell me like, hey, can you do a self-defense seminar for us? And I was like, I can, but I'm going to be taking your money and you're not going to be getting anything out of it. I prefer not to. I prefer you just join a jujitsu or an MMA gym and start training. Right. I'll come do a seminar for that. Right. If you're training consistently, but if I just come and do a, a three hour seminar of self defense, like you're never going retain if you don't train it again, no. it's not going to help you, right? Introduce skill building into yeah. it, you know, and going, but I'm telling you right now, reality-based training is where it's at as far as like being able to bring in drilling, adding resistance, but now we can add in weapon systems. We actually can see marking rounds. Hey, I shot you. Did you? Was that shot contested? Did that round hit me? I don't know. It's a marking round. I don't see a mark on me and there's a mark on the wall, two feet to my head. Sure. You missed. Right. Why? Cause I contested your presentation right, right. now. Did you fix your weapon to get it back up and running before you shot me? No. Give the space due to do that. Right. So those are the super important things of that, that third level of pressure testing.
0: Effective fitness combatives has multiple in-person courses available. Texas, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, South Carolina, California, New Jersey, and Florida. Many more to come. Some classes are going to be open for a limited time as they do fill up relatively quickly. We have four day instructor courses, which seems to be the most popular, two day end user courses, weapons based entanglements, and of course, custom courses for you or your agency. Courses are post certified in multiple states. For more information, click the link in the show notes for course breakdown and schedule. Online training and certifications are coming soon. Email j at efcombatives.com. That's J J A Y at EFcombatives.com for questions or to schedule a course. Some of you may have seen um the post that we made regarding the the long hallway incident um where the officer fell to his back and was supposed to get the feet and the hips. You know, that's a video that's been making his rounds. And the purpose of us doing that was to be as objective as possible. We even uh, put in all the variables there. Jay and I worked together on those posts to really show you guys like what it truly means to pressure test. So when you're looking at something on social media or on YouTube and you're like, oh man, cool, that could work. You always got to think about you know, the biggest issue that we were seeing was there was no intent, right? That's okay. They're using blue guns. That's okay. The person even knows what they're going to do. That's even fine but there's no intent from the bad guy or the suspect, then you can't really say it works, right? Because that's that's the biggest variable. I mean, I can take a brick and have intent with doing harm, or I could take a knife and have intent with doing harm. It doesn't matter what you have. It's about the intent of doing something, right? And so that's the biggest issue that we were seeing. And you, you know, again, like, you know, call it as it is, ask questions to these pages, ask questions to us, right? We have no issue describing what we're doing because we understand that, you know, this isn't for likes and shares. This is, this is for cops on the street and people on the street who want to be prepared for what may actually happen. And Jay, you know, if you have advice for someone who's at their agency and, and they can literally say, wow, what they just described that level two is exactly what we teach and we've never actually even been to level three. What would you say they could tell their administration about maybe kind of elevating their DT program?
1: So let me use ours for an example. We first introduced box drills in, uh, to ones that weren't going to have like a combative situation to end it. So we didn't have to have the red beard helmets. We didn't have to have any surfaces to, to make sure that we weren't getting injured falling on. So the first ones we did, nobody knew what the drills were. And we came in and they were ones that they were going to be at distance. So more tactics, uh, box drills. We saw a bunch of failures. okay, And we saw some good things, but a, a lot of mistakes that needed to be filled. Mostly the after action stuff. So then we ran box drills again, the very next training. And every time we ran those, we switched up what they were doing, but the objectives were the same and people started to get better just by simply doing box drills. Okay. Then I was like, Hey, we're going to do some defensive tactics, like combat is box drills and we're going to add two people. So you're gonna have two officers, but the one officer is actually going to be like 30, 40 seconds out. He can't come help you until you actually get on your radio and do it. So we used the TAC channel so it wasn't uh, live over the air. But we had a guy, another safety officer over dispatching, and he was standing next to whoever the backup officer was. And as soon as the officer needed to call backup, and he did, that officer was coming. Now, if he didn't call backup, he didn't get backup. So now we added radios into it, and that was actually uh, eye-opening people forgetting to get on the radio, what they're saying on the radio. And then when the second guy arrived, how did those two work together to finish the situation, whatever it may be. Okay, And those ones were combative ones. So we actually started using the reality based training helmets, red beard, uh, combative helmets, uh, UTM Sims. And th- those were eye opening. Like we had, we had ones that were just, Very simple, like two-man takedowns once the second guy got there, or a one-man takedown, he's fighting, he's calling for help, second guy comes in, puts in the low anchor, and then take him to custody. That was The bad guy's objective was just to fight and not just be actively resistant, not actively try to combat him um, and and assault him or go for a weapon. Then we added ones where they would try to go for their own weapon or take the cop's weapon, right? So uh, we had different levels of drills there, and – during some of those combat situations, that started out like it, what you would cl- call your classic DT situation, ended in a gunfight or ended in a OIS. Okay, so what we saw from there was a bunch of after-action failures. What are we not training? The scenarios were ending soon as shots were fired. That caused a terrible, terrible practice for officers. They didn't know what to do there. You actually get in a gunfight, you actually shoot someone. The situation, another situation just started. There's a whole nother situation that you have to work through and solve. And so that just started to build... The tactics and communication between all the officers, all the admin, and they saw it. They saw the light and they are like, wow, this is crazy. Uh, New York State itself actually has a 40-hour reality-based training certification, which helps integrate the UTMs and SIMs into into departments. And in New York State, it's basically safety, designing drills, those types of things. Um We obviously took it a a couple steps farther and started integrating in multiple officers and radios and not just force on force with Sims, but actual like combative takedowns, fighting, bad guy having weapons, those things out of box drills. Then you can just go into scenarios. So box drills are just starting, but those are the most important cuz scenarios, you kind of know what your scenario is and you already are like thinking ahead and in a box drill you, you don't know what you got. Right. You and turn around and you have to improvise right away. Right. You have to decide and act right away.
0: Right. And that's something where there's not enough of that basically the like the unknown type of training. right? Like, here's your helmet, here's your sim gun, here's your taser. Good luck. Yeah. I mean that's the I mean the you know, that's what it is. Cause I remember some of the trainings I went to, you know, they didn't even really vary it up. And that was kind of the problem. It was, you know, how they have like the shoot, no shoot situations, whatever. They're like, well, we know they need to get good at shooting. So, you know, two out of three scenarios are going to be shooting scenarios. It's like, well, Dan, yeah. that's, that's a pretty high ratio. So now yeah, it's high, right.
1: They can't all be, they can't all in that. Right.
0: Way. So now yeah, what are you ingraining in their brain? Correct. right? Like, yeah. you know, especially if you have younger officers, we have a lot of younger officers reach out to us and say, Hey, like, where do I start? What do I do? Blah, blah, blah. And my best thing is going, Hey, look, you know, besides take a course with us, keep up those skills, go train jujitsu, right? Go yeah. train at MMA school. If you know your old high school wrestling coach, go ask him if you don't have a jujitsu school nearby, like whatever the case may be, get that consistency of training. in. I do want to touch on you know, let's say you are a newer officer. I know a lot of people that are just intimidated by, let's say, the level one. Right? They're like, I, foundations, skill building. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to. You know, I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the time to do that. What are your thoughts on on or how do you feel about someone that maybe has twelve or fifteen years on or has twelve months on? How do you get them to basically set that ego aside or set that fear aside and say, hey, look, this is something that you need to be doing?
1: One, first off, we see that change when something bad happens to them or someone close to them or in, in that department. Uh, two is we, we just constantly show like when we pressure test with them or even say level two pressure testing, level two pressure, blue guns, whatever, just completely overwhelming them and you're trying it like 10, 15%. And they can't do anything. I'm the guy, just get my gun out. Okay, cool. We're going to go in a confined room, get your gun out and shoot me. Go ahead. And they can't get their gun out or we take it out for them or they take it out the wrong time. We take it away from, them, right? You have to open their eyes. Sometimes that isn't going to be how you train. That is just going to be why you should train. When you're training, you actually have objectives that your, your role players are letting your guys work towards, except for when you get to level three, then it's, that they're actually trying to pressure test it. So they're trying not to let them do that. They're trying to see if they find failure. And if they do, sometimes that happens because good tactics can fail, especially with size difference, uh, strength difference, maybe ambush on uh, are behind the eight ball, whatever it might be, then do they improvise? Can they improvise and, and work through what they got to go to next? That's how those things work as far as box drills. It just allows you to have make better decisions quicker. The game slows down. You're used to training over and over again different situations so your decision making is just so much faster and you know the the level one course is so important because it is it's it's fundamentals communication team tactics weapon retention all of that stuff and and it is so good if people just train level one over and over and over again they would be so much better on the street like so much better on the street Okay? Not even adding in tons of tactics. They would just be so much better yeah. at all those situations, their physical skills, their decision making, how uncomfortable they are. But now the game changer for EFC is going to be our level two. Because we're not going to make it more advanced techniques. Making advanced techniques is to me is dumb. It is. Realistically, <laughs> it if is. someone trains, if someone trains and is at a super high level and they can add in more advanced techniques off your fundamentals in level Great. one. Good for that. They earn that. Right. right? But where's the other lack at? How do we take those level one foundations and build in reality-based training, vehicle extractions and safety and designing drills and designing box drills? So that is our level two is going to be how do we actually do reality-based training and implement it into departments and how do we implement it into training? And listen, there's two things I talk about with level three. You can't do just all level three, even high level guys. I spend a lot of time doing level three, okay? But we go back and we drill the fundamentals or we teach the fundamentals or we're in jujitsu class or we're in level two. We're like, hey, we're sparring and we're trying to choke each other out, but there's no weapons in here, right? But your body gets beat up in level three if you do it over and over and over Yeah, again. I mean, metal guns are not, they don't give. Your hands, your arms, your elbows, those things all take take a beating if you do them over and over again but you have to at least spend time there you don't have to spend all your time there you go back to level two you go back to level one the main thing that i think you can do if you want to add more in the beginning so say like a level two course is you open it up with we're doing box drills okay we're going to do these box even before a level one if your department wants to do this Before we start implementing a good DT combatus program like EFC, we're going to send everyone through four box drills. they are going to have four box drills, okay? And it's going to be a shit show. Everyone knows it's going to be a shit show. Now, we're going to train and implement EFC for a year, okay? And we're going to do some box drills, okay, for training. And then we're going to pressure test again in one year. Videotape both of those and the proof's gonna be in the pudding. You're gonna see a night and day difference of skills, decision making, movement, uh, tactics, all that stuff is gonna be mind-boggling different. Yeah, I mean I've seen it. I, I've personally seen it with our own people that don't actually go to jujitsu and train consistently, but They've had enough time doing box drills, enough time doing in-service training, uh, defensive tactics training. Our ranges are all built around moving, working through team tactics. Uh, so we integrate all that stuff. We have some real based training, so they get a fair amount of training. And I saw a night and day difference from all of the people in our department from when we started doing box drills to currently now when we do them, it's significantly right. better significantly and the best
0: part about that too is is the time it takes to train right so obviously we have our instructor course it's a 40 hour course four days so you're training 10 hour days right and sometimes those days go over because you know some people need to be caught back up or they have specific questions and that's just you know something that we have to do right so one thing i think that you kind of hit on a little bit was we don't teach different techniques at different levels right they're building blocks, right, of concepts and principles. And of course, you know, there are certain techniques that you're going to have to learn, but they're built around the concepts and principles, right? So it's not something that, you know, if you have your hand two inches from your chest, it's not going to work, right? It's not going to be like that. But one thing that I I think that we do a really good job of is time management. Yeah. Because the techniques and the concepts and principles we teach are such of a high percentage have a good flow to them meaning they can flow from just active resistance to you know deadly physical force situations and then they can flow within that use of force spectrum right so it's not like we're teaching you you know certain concepts and principles for each each level they can they can flow in and you can obviously you know have an increased likelihood of a successful outcome but one thing is is that time spent teaching right there's a reason why you know Jay, you said well, everything can fail. That is absolutely true. Everything can fail. But why would we spend time teaching techniques or concepts that aren't optimal, right? So like, for example, the long hallway situation, falling to your back and putting your feet in the hips. Would I spend time as an instructor teaching this to a group of cops, whether they have prior jujitsu experience or no you know, prior jujitsu experience, would I spend time teaching that Knowing what I know, pressure testing, what I pressure tested and talking to who I've talked to, the answer is no, I would not. Um, Because that guard retention is taught in a different building block fundamental that can then be used if you were to happen to fall to your back. But something like that is, I think, very important to understand. If you're an instructor, you have a very limited time with your students and you need to give them the best curriculum and the best options and principles and concepts available uh, in order... you know, for them to become successful. So I think that you do a very good job of that, Jay, and, uh, and kind of how you instruct. That's kind of how we operate at EFC is time management is super important.
1: Yeah. it You know, and then coming up with things that work in multiple applications. So let's just use, for example, the two-on-one takedown. Okay, I'm a two-on-one. Uh, people call it the Russian. People call it the Hug Iron Bar or whatever you want to call it. It's commonly known as a two-on-one. I have a two on one. I can use that as a takedown and solo officer control. I could take that. I can use that. And it's really efficient in a two man takedown system, a high, low system. It's also really good for when someone's trying to stab you and you're getting control of the arm, you want to get behind it. Now I'm in a two on one again, cause now I'm behind the knife. I'm behind the weapon. I'm an right. angle. Okay. And now in weapon retention, if someone grabs across your body to that weapon right. Most people are right handed. So that happens and occurs frequently when you watch videos. It's the right hand gun grab or two hands. Now I'm in the same position. So I'm drilling the two on one in skill building block module. I'm drilling it in a solo uh, officer apprehension module. I'm drilling in a team tactics module. I'm drilling in weapon defense module. And now I'm drilling it again when I do weapon retention. So five different times throughout the course, you drill the same technique over and over again. Right, that's important. Less is more here. We ought to understand that we have to be really, really good at the basics what works, and then let's drill it and get really good at it. Another thing that I'll, I'll talk about when I, I talk about tactics and, and drilling just bits and pieces of fundamentals is building like layers of the onion. Okay, I, I used to do this wrong, right? So I teach off of experiences, good and bad, and, and that's just you know, check your ego. I used to teach takedowns first and then ground control, but then people do takedowns and then I will watch them. and I'd be like, okay, this guy's going here and this guy's going here. And okay. I really didn't, whether it was, I didn't care. I just didn't understand it at the time, whatever it might be. Then I was like, man, if I taught them how to control someone on the ground first, then every time they did a takedown, they'd get more reps of going to where I want them to on the ground. Bingo. Right? So that's how we build things. How do we get more reps in? And time management is how do we develop curriculum and in what order we develop curriculum. And, dude, that comes from a lot of time and a lot of experience and a lot of failures of organization of it. Uh, On my end, uh, other people's ends, right? But, like, we've been there. We've drilled it. And now we see the retention, the retainability of the information for the student is much better when they get more reps and they have less things to learn. Yes,
0: that's, dude, the minimal effective dose. What is the minimal amount of training or stimulus that I can give someone to achieve increase in growth, ability, skill, and knowledge. Right. And that's, and that's everything, right. What is the minimal amount of time that I need in order to produce a desire individual, right. Or give them the skills in order to which they can be successful. And with that Jay is the continuous training, you know, hence why we have the app coming out. We have our courses coming out that are going to be available online. That are going to be a lot more in depth than what's out there right now currently a lot more uh cost effective as well uh for the individual or for the agency right and one thing that i think we what we do that kind of sets us apart is is not only you know what we're going to be doing online but also the way that we continuously grow with the agency right we have a system which we can then keep track of you know how many officers are watching the modules and can actually be held accountable there. So it's like, okay, cool. You know, you take the course, like you said, you take the 40 hour course, you become an instructor. And then do you train that shit again? Because you don't remember what happened in that 40 hour course. Well, no, we have continued education, right? And then we'll be sending out emails and also we're going to be having courses available throughout the year, really all over the country, you know? So that's kind of one thing that's going to be setting us apart and, Again, we're for cops by cops, you know, and we also do have open enrollment courses that are available to the general public, whether that be, you know, kind of the hot thing is the weapons retention stuff. Because again, if you are a concealed carry type of individual, which we recommend you do, you should learn how to retain your weapon and or fight with someone that actually has a weapon or you're just going to be a holster for somebody else.
1: (laughs) You know, I think the nice thing, honestly, with the way the system is set up for our webpage is you take the instructor course. It's good for two years. You get the video library for, for two years. The video library is in the exact same sequence I teach the course, right? So they can go over, over the course and train repeatedly with that. And if they're not up to their skills of the instructor yet for that, they can just put it on and watch me teach it again. And they can drill it with me teaching it on the TV or on on the laptop or where, wherever on their mobile device, right? You know, and then for agencies or departments or people that aren't available to be an instructor, they're not at the level. They're just a, a regular patrolman, and their agency doesn't produce training, so on and so forth. That three day user course is going to be huge. Now your agency doesn't provide this, but you want to better yourself and you want to train, but you don't want to go to jujitsu or you don't want to do this, which we agree that is the best options to go to jujitsu and then add in combatives. Okay. But you can, you know, purchase the user course and that's going to send you through everything that we teach, but as a user, how to use it, when to use it. And then you'll have the videos to do that over and over again, as much as you want during that two year period. So I think that's the game changer for people that don't have the resources is that's going to be an immediate resource. That's not just for instructors because most departments, will only send people instructor courses. Most people go to an instructor course because they want to be an instructor. But how many people don't want to be an instructor that just want to be proficient in skills on the street? I'm assuming the overwhelming majority would want to if there's right. uh, something available, that resource is available to them, and it just hasn't been. And now it's going to be.
0: Correct. And just to add to that, we have some other things in the works. There's as well that are going to be coming out online. We can't really disclose those details yet because they're still in the process, but um, it's going to be very beneficial for those that are who have been on the job again for 12, 15 years or those that are just getting on the job. So we're really excited to launch this. It should be launched here in, a, in the next couple months or so. Make sure you guys check out efcombatives.com. All our courses are listed there. Uh, we have four instructor courses scheduled for 2023. We have uh, a few open now this year. California is a one-day course. We have a Virginia course coming up. Again, guys, I'll add the link in the show notes below. Check that out. Click the link. If you guys want to host a course, Jay, tell them what they need.
1: So if they want to post that one, they got to email me J at effective fitness com, And then we'll send them a package over of everything they're going to need. It's going to, they're going to have to verbally and in, in written email commit to being able to send five themselves. They have to have, a facility that is going to be able to handle at least 15 to 20 subjects, uh, in there moving around with a mat room. And then we can send press lists and our instructor cadre bios to whoever's going to be going to the course that they want. Sure.
0: Yeah. And we can do that guys. And I'll put Jay's email in the show notes below. Uh, so feel free to email Jay. If you have any questions, it's Jay at dot com, and yeah, guys check it out. We do post a lot of content on the Instagram page. Um, some of the content's from our courses. Some of the content's going to be from um, the app, from the online course. Some of it's just Jay at work, our team at work. Jay's not the only instructor. We have we have other lead instructors that have uh, the majority are jiu-jitsu black belts, um, multiple degrees to some of them, um, you know, cops. Every single instructor we have has law enforcement experience we find very important as it pertains to, you know, report writing, use of force courtroom testimony and things like that, which a lot of people don't really think about when it comes to, they just think DT, they think DT, but obviously, you know, there's a whole other side to that as well. So guys, I appreciate the listen. Again, stand by for more information to come out about EFC and uh, stay safe. Jay, thanks for coming on brother. Thanks man. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to follow Jay, his links will be in the show notes below. If you'd like to work with Jay or sign up for a course, Go to efcombatives.com. The link will be in the show notes below. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. New episodes launch on Monday every other week.